Stand Firm Ministries, Biblical Truth, taught by Dr. Shane Perez. Well, as we go into the Christmas season, um, I wanted to talk about today about the star. You know what star I'm talking about? If you were turning your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 9 through 11. Sometimes we call it the Christmas star. Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 9, it says, After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. You ever thought much about stars? Actually, I think one of my big eye-openers in life is uh, when I actually started to become a teacher. And one of the classes uh, actually... You know, applied to be a Bible teacher at a particular school, and I went to go interview in Georgia one time. And they said, "Okay, you're you're looking pretty good. Um, you know, the process will continue the process, but we'll probably hire you as a Bible teacher." And it was a, actually a Presbyterian school. And then they called me back later and said, "Well, we actually found somebody else to teach Bible that is actually Presbyterian, so I think we'll go with him. But we really need a science teacher. So will you teach science?" It's like, well, I really like science, but I never taught science. But it was the junior high, so I thought I could handle it. Uh, well, borderline high school. I guess I did teach ninth grade biology. But most of it was seventh and eighth grade um, science. And I started teaching, uh, or my first year I had to teach seventh and eighth grade earth science. And I knew we had, we knew uh, about all this stuff about the the planets and the stars or so forth. But then it was very interesting because then when I actually got into the details of what we really know, I was a little surprised. Maybe a little bit more on what we, what we don't know. So let's talk about stars a little bit. So I'm leading in with the earth science. Do you know what stars are made of? Have we ever been, have we ever sent spaceship to the stars? Actually, I'll skip ahead a little bit. Do you know where the closest star is, not counting the sun? Do you know how far away it is? No, I'm practicing reading you this number. It is 4.3 light years away, or 25 trillion 300 billion miles. If you want to drive there, if you go around the speed limit, if you go 60 miles per hour, you know how long it will take you to get there? 48 million years. In other words, the closest star is really not that close. It's really, really far away. So when I was teaching science, I was wondering, well, how do they know exactly what a star is made of? We haven't been there. We haven't sent any probes there uh, like we do to Mars or anything like that. And then I was researching, and what I found out is they do believe it's, uh, there's a lot of gases involved, but the only thing they really get, uh, their main thing they get on the clue of the star is just the color of its light. 
They know it burns very brightly and it's very hot, so they do believe it is made up of very hot gases. They um, think that it m might be mostly hydrogen and helium. But they really don't know for sure. And it always concerns me when I was teaching earth science and even when I'm teaching uh, different topics in school, how you read in a science textbook and they will say something is fact. When that's okay if you want to guess at it because we really don't know, but tell me that you're guessing at it. Tell me you really don't know what stars are made of, but by its color and how it burns so brightly, we would conclude there's gases involved and it could be these particular types of gas, but then please conclude, but we don't know for sure. Because it is so far away and we've never been there. Well, how are stars formed? I found this couple of sentences. A star is formed when a cloud of gas and dust in space has enough mass that the gravity from that mass pulls the mat material of that cloud to a central point rather than the particles of gas and dust escaping by their own velocity. As this material collects to a central point, atoms and molecules start bumping into each other. Sounds very scientific, doesn't it? But then if you continue to read in some of the same article, uh, remember they're answering the question, how are stars formed? But then if you continue to read the same article, it says, it is true that we have never seen the complete formation of a single star. Their description sounds very uncomplicated, but in reality, if somebody were to ask you, how are stars formed, your first answer should be, we don't know. We can take a guess, but we really don't know. And I just wanted to, to bring up some of those things about stars, because even just studying stars, it's amazing how you can read in a textbook and think you know everything, but then when you look at reality, you realize, we have no clue. We don't even know how it works. We can put together these scientific phrases. So it sounds like we know what we're talking about. And it sounds like to most of the common people that it makes sense. But then we conclude at the end, but we've never seen it happen. And we're so far away, we really don't know for sure. I wanted to, to research a star a little bit because the thing about it is at this time of the year, we remember the Christmas star. And we remember how God used a star, a distant light that is just astronomical distance away. We're not even sure how they're formed or when they're formed, uh, not even sure what they're made of, but we know God used it on a very special night. So I want to talk a little bit about light today, and I want to talk a little bit about a star, but really what I emphasize next is... Not only did God use a star, but you know, he used a lot of different things through the Bible. Hopefully you know your Old Testament, you would know that he used the donkey. You remember what the donkey did? It actually, it talked. It communicated to its writer uh, a, really a message from God. 
God used a star, he used a donkey, and of course you know the story of when he used a great fish who got swallowed by the fish. Jonah, very good. Then even still in the Old Testament, he used a bush, and he used fire, and he put them together. He set a bush on fire. And do you know what was so amazing about that? The bush didn't burn. It's amazing to see the things that God uses. And I even put a couple that I sort of tried to get from the New Testament. He used a storm. How many storms have we been through? Many storms. But when Jesus was on the earth, there was one particular storm that he used to show, I guess, his disciples and others that God was in control of nature. And I put even bread down here. God used a loaf of bread. Could have put fishes too, but I sort of already used fish. But it, he used bread and fish, just simple things to eat, yet he used them because he did a miracle with them. And he just multiplied a simple object, and then the people were amazed because they saw uh, what he was able to do with just bread. God used a star a long time ago, but as you read scripture, he uses a lot of different things. And a lot of them aren't amazing or astonishing or even super special at all. A lot of them are very common things. But you know what God loves to use? And I would probably even argue what he uses mostly is he loves using people. In fact, he'll use objects, and he can use burning bush and different things to communicate, but his number one method of communicating is people. Uses words, but then he uses also the work of people. When you think about how people have come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, the number one way is probably through somebody else telling them words. But it also could be from somebody else writing words, writing books, or the people that wrote the scriptures. And then also people can be brought to Jesus through the actions of people. They see things in them that are different. Maybe it's love. Maybe it's compassion. Maybe it's giving. God loves using people. He's used a star. He's used a donkey. He's used fish. He's used burning bush, a storm bread. But his main thing that he uses is people. got to understand that God uses people for a very specific reason. He doesn't use people necessarily to bless our lives. I don't know, I feel like Christianity and the church today, we sort of try to get people to, to join us, to join our church, to, to join our religious movement by trying to persuade them all the good things that they will get. Hey, come join us. 
And God will give you joy and peace and happiness. God's got a plan for you. Now all of those are true, but you've got to also put it in context. So you can't leave out the most important thing. All those things are true, but what happens is you die to yourself. And you step out in faith and you start living for God. God uses people, but He uses people to accomplish His will. Not your will, not my will, not what we think should be, not what we think is right, not what we think is best for us, but it is God's will. I see a trend in Christianity today and probably would even call out our own denomination. We're doing the will of God can be replaced with just doing good things. Christians can get away with doing good things and it's more or less the same as doing the will of God is sort of how we sell it. Well, the Bible says I need to feed the poor. Should you feed the poor? Yes, you should. But when you go to feed the poor, what should you also be doing? Food is pretty important. People need food. But what's more important than physical food is spiritual food. I would almost argue that you may even be wasting your time feeding the poor if you're just giving them physical food. Yes, it may sustain their life for a little bit longer, but you're missing the most important thing. The most important thing for them, the most important thing to God, and that is spiritual food that they need. Now, I feel like even a uh, trends in our denomination is, well, we just got to do good. It's all about actions of doing good. That is true to an extent. But you must bring with those actions the good news of Jesus Christ. In some way, shape, or form, you must bring in Jesus Christ. It's not just going out and doing good. What you've got to understand is, God wants to accomplish His will through us. His will. What is His will? As you think back to Matthew, the book of Matthew, when the star was over the manger, what was the purpose of the star? The magi were searching. What did the star do? It guided them and it led them to, led them to Jesus. He used a star to lead people to Jesus. His will, His ultimate will, in all aspects and everything we do, is to lead people to Jesus. God used a star to bring people to Him, to bring people to Jesus. And I think what thing we must understand is God wants to use us to do the same thing. 
So when you think of the Christmas story, when you think of the star that people were following to Jesus, think of you being the star. God wants to use you as a star. He wants to use you as a light for others. We're living in a dark world. And as Christians, we need to be a shining light that people are drawn to. And when they come to it, they're not drawn to us. The star wasn't the, the, the main goal of the wise man. The star was just an object to lead others to Jesus Christ. Make sure you understand that. Because that is what God wants with us. That is His ultimate will, His ultimate desire, is for us to lead others to Jesus Christ. We are to be that light. How can we be the light if we're not spending time with Jesus Christ? If, our, if we haven't completely sold out our lives to Jesus Christ? We live in a day and age where we um, come a long way in technology with um, using batteries that can be charged up. It's amazing because I've, I've lived, I've seen the whole thing, and you have two, where they first come out with things that you could charge. Maybe it's just a flashlight. And it was so neat, and we'd go out and buy one, and then guess what you found out? It didn't last that long. But then the technology has got better and better and better. Now you can buy chargeable flashlights that last a really long time. Not only can you buy flashlights, but what else can you buy? You can buy things that require a lot of energy. Um, one thing we bought for the school not too long ago was a vacuum cleaner that's chargeable, cordless. If you get around construction, you see people using all sorts of tools that are cordless. But what happens after a while to even the best technological technological advances that we made with the most expensive rechargeable tools, guess what eventually happens to them? They eventually run out of juice and what must you do? Plug them back in, put them back on the charger and recharge them. We had actually, we bought a vacuum cleaner because we were replacing the old one that was a, that quit charging. And guess what use it was? No use at all. Now when you walk into a building or a closet or something and you see a vacuum there, it put this up to your brain that yes, we can use that for cleaning. But it doesn't do you any good when you go grab it and try to use it. I feel like God probably looks at us a little bit. He opens a closet if we were vacuum cleaners. And he sees a row of vacuum cleaners that... Uh, that are just not charged. And maybe we're, we're leaning there against the wall and we're thinking, well, God, why don't you just use me? And God's like, I can't, your battery's dead. Well, how do, you, how do we get to be used by you, God? Well, you got to plug in to me. You got to spend time with me. You got to have some spiritual disciplines. You got to read your word. You got to let me mold your thinking and, and mold your feelings and, and mold your. Um, psyche so it's more like mine 
And so many of us today, we try to just make it through on our own. And we're wondering why God can't use us. Well, God, well, why can't I be a light for you? Why aren't I leading others to Jesus Christ? Because we're not being plugged into the right thing. We're just out there in the world and our battery, it was charged up at one time in our life, probably when we got saved, it was charged up full strength. And then we probably started out going back to the charger a lot. And then over time we go less and less and less. Plan on having a candlelight service here on Christmas Eve on Saturday night. And it's really neat. It's going to be neat inside of the, the new building to see what it looks like when we have a bunch of candles lit. But what happens every year, we get, once the candles are lit, you're pretty surprised on how bright it is in here. But imagine all of us in the room with our candles lit. And it's pretty bright. You can see the expressions on people's faces. You can see everybody who's here. And then one by one, the candles start going out. And it gets dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. I feel like that's what's going on in our world. We're looking around and we're seeing darkness everywhere and we don't know why. Because we're not being a light. God can use anything. He used stars. He used donkeys, my favorite. He used fish. He used bread, burning bush, storms, and so many other things that God can use. And he's used a countless number of people. He does it all the time. You think back in your life, how did you come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? I guarantee people were involved. Somebody probably talking with you and praying with you. It could have been a book you read. Um, could have been a song you heard that somebody was singing. God uses people. And He wants to use us. Make sure you understand, if you call yourselves a Christian... You are to be a light that leads others to Jesus Christ. Not only is that a good thing for you to do, but that should be your number one priority. From God's perspective, I would dare say that's the reason why we are here. We're not here to enjoy life or to get riches or fame or popularity um, or even to be happy. We are here to accomplish God's will. As we go in this Christmas season, make sure you remember that. Make sure hopefully from now on, anytime you hear about the Christmas star, maybe even when you go outside, I was outside last night with uh, Emma with walking dogs and looking up, and one thing about it being cold, it seems like the stars shine a little brighter. I encourage you, go outside and look at the stars. Think about how God gives them light. And think about how God wants you to be a star. Not just any star. He wants you to be the star like the Christmas star that leads others to Jesus Christ. Are you a light that is bringing others to Jesus? I know as I was growing up in churches, I didn't necessarily like this question because it would make me feel guilty. 
examine my life and realize, well, maybe I need to be doing more. Maybe I need to tell others about Jesus. And I just feel uncomfortable. That wasn't something I was necessarily comfortable with. I remember one time I was working uh, when I was in college at Houston Baptist University. I was working in downtown Houston. Uh, I was shy about sharing my faith, but I prayed to God, God, um, help me to share my faith. And I was working at a secular job, and I would talk to people at my job just as little as I could, uh, because everybody was older than me, and they're professionals, and I'm just a college student who's filing papers or, or whatnot. And it's amazing that people would talk to me. And one of the things they'd always ask me is, what are you doing? Well, I'm, I'm a college student. Really, what's your major? And my major was always either, depending on what college I was at, was either religion or Bible. And in many cases, that's all I'd have to say, and then they would start asking me questions. Well, you know what? I've always wondered. And then they'd come up with the question, a biblical question. Or a question about another religion. And it's neat to see, even though I'm shy and um, about, or many times was shy about sharing my faith, if I was just willing, if I was plugged into Jesus Christ, how God would just bring people to me and they would even start the conversation. It's not that you've got to be trained and be a professional evangelist. I miss Charlie. I love Charlie Flewellen. He was a natural evangelist. It's just the light and to tell people about Jesus Christ. Most of us aren't like that. But we can still be a bright light. We've got to be willing. And we've got to be sold out to God. Are you a light that brings others to Jesus? And honestly, if we're not doing that, we're really just wasting our time here. Because everything else is just going to be burned away and destroyed and it's just temporary. This is what's most important. We look around and see darkness coming over our country and over our world. It's not the Satanist's fault or the atheist's fault or the politician's fault. It's us. That's the problem. So make sure we celebrate this Christmas season. Remember that you can be a tremendous bright light for Jesus Christ. You may not be the natural evangelist. You may not uh, have all the gifts and, and talents of other people, but God can use you just as much as He used a Christmas star, just as much as He's used anybody else throughout history. God can use you and desires to do that. We need you to sing this song with us. Listen up, listen up. Out of creation, there at the start, before the beginning of time. With no point of reference, he spoke to the dark and fleshed out the wonder of life. And as you speak, a hundred billion galaxies are born, and the vapor of your breath the planet is warm. If the stars were made to worship, so will I. 
promises still stand. Shane Perez hopes this lesson encourages you and equips you to minister to others with your walk as a Christian. We would love to hear from you. Drop us an email at standfirmministries at yahoo.com.